Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. This is in response to the wrong census that he took of the people. You know, in the Old Testament, census, taking a census wasn't wrong. You know, we do that in our nation as well. It's taking a census wasn't necessarily wrong, but it was wrong for David because he was numbering the people to give him sense, a sense of confidence in the numbers. He wasn't just doing it for administrative purposes. He was doing it to, to reassure himself of the strength of the might he had in his own kingdom, and that was wrong because his trust for protection, for might, is in the Lord, not in the people. I've made a point of that over the years of not doing head counts in our fellowship here for that same reason because it doesn't it doesn't matter numbers are not what matters what matters is what the Lord is doing and my trust is in the Lord and following his calling for my life but listen to David's response for the numbering he did second Samuel 24 verse 10 tells us and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. You see, in the same way, when you start passing inappropriate judgment on others, your heart will condemn you, or at least it should if you're you're a believer and the Holy Spirit is living within you, which he is if you're a believer, because he'll begin to convict you of that sinful action that you've done. And if it's ignored, it'll take a serious toll on your life, especially in your relationship with the Lord, as it can drive you away from the Lord, your heart can drive you away from the Lord as you try to cover over the conviction and hide that sinful conviction in your own heart that, that your own heart is bringing to you. So your heart can condemn you. Your heart can judge you. Another practical way is others can judge you. It can come back to you through others. The inappropriate judgments that we've rendered on others can come back at us through other people, coming back at us through the very people, in fact, that we've judged in some cases. You know, it's a universal principle that people tend to respond in kind. People tend to respond to us the way we respond to them. People tend to treat us as we treat them. And that's why Jesus said back in verse 31, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. I'm reminded of an illustration I once read in our Daily Bread that makes this very point. It says in his little book, Illustration of Bible Truth, H.A. Ironside pointed out the folly of judging others. He related an incident in the life of a man called Bishop Potter. He was sailing for Europe on one of the great transatlantic ocean liners. When he went on board, he found that another passenger was to share the cabin with him. After going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could leave his gold watch and other valuables in the ship safe. He explained that ordinarily he never availed himself of that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and had met the man who was to occupy the other berth. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. The purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables and remarked, "It's, It's all right, Bishop. I'll be very glad to take care of them for you. 
the, the other man has been up here already and he left his for the same reason. <laughs> you get it, right? Be very careful. The very people you judge might become the very people who then in turn turn around and judge you. And along the same lines, it can also come back at us from people who see us wrongly judging others. Whether we think about it or not, people around us are watching. If they know we're believers in particular, they are watching us. And and they're forming opinions about us. In fact, they're forming opinions about what we say we believe by watching us. And, and, And some of those opinions they form, we understand some of them are wrong opinions just based on their own views. But some of them are quite right. They see things in our lives that don't line up with what it is we profess as believers. And as they watch us, they, they sometimes, as they see us beginning to treat other people wrongly, judging others wrongly, they begin to treat us according to those opinions, as fair or unfair as that might be. And it's oftentimes our attitudes and our actions that form the basis of their judgments of us and, and their reactions to us. So if we're busy passing inappropriate judgments on others, those who are watching will often begin passing inappropriate and maybe even some appropriate judgments on us. But one thing is guaranteed. Jesus says that if we render inappropriate judgments on others, it will at some point come back at us. I think of a guy by the name of Adonai Bezek, a Canaanite king who was captured and he was taken prisoner by the Israelites when they were conquering the land. And instead of killing him, the Israelites opted to cut off his thumbs and his big toes so that he couldn't make war anymore. But, but it's his response that I want you to note because it's telling. Judges chapter 1 and verse 7, listen what Adonai Bezek says when they come to take his thumbs and his, his toes so he can't make war anymore. Here's what he says, verse 7. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table as I have done so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. You see, he's saying that this is just fair. I did it to others, and now it's coming back on me. And that's the very same idea of how Jesus says it works when we elevate and, and, and seat ourselves as judges of others, rendering inappropriate, condemning judgments, making ourselves spiritual judge, jury, and executioner. God will repay in kind through our hearts, through, through those that we've wrongly judged and condemned, and, and through others around us. Sooner or later, the chickens, they're going to come home to roost, is the basic idea. Now, does this mean, and this is an important question, does this mean that we should never pass judgment in any form on others? I I know that those who love to quote this verse, judge not, you're not to judge me, only God judges me, they would say you can never pass judgment in any form, in any way, so can we? Well, the answer is, it certainly doesn't mean that we should never pass a form of judgment on others. There are judgments that Scripture tells us are very appropriate for us to make in regard to others. But they aren't judgments of condemnation. They're simply spiritually discerning kinds of judgments. First of all, there are appropriate judgments we can render for the purpose of protection of others. These might be judgments we make against those whose behaviors pose harm to individual believers or to the body of Christ as a whole. For example, Paul did that when he passed public judgment on Alexander the coppersmith, right? 
Here's what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. I mean, talk about passing judgment of a sort. He says this to Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Paul had no problem pointing out there's a problem with this guy. He's passing. He may not be passing it to Alexander's face, but he's certainly passing judgment on him to others. But it's a protective form of judgment. Beware of this guy. He's a danger. John did this when he called out and characterizes Diotrephes. He says this in, in, in uh, his third letter, third, 3 John, verses 9 and 10. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, prating against us with malicious words and not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. John had no problem calling attention Diotrephes' actions. That's a judgment that he's passing. But the question becomes, why was John doing that? He was doing it to protect the church. He was doing it as a protective measure. So it's not inappropriate for us to do this. It's also not inappropriate for us to judge the messages that are being preached by others and to openly warn when those messages and teachings are errant. Paul did this with the Judaizers. And, and he wrote an entire book of Scripture that characterizes and warns others about them and about their message, and that book is the book of Galatians. He did this for the protection of the body of Christ. There are also appropriate judgments that we can render for the purpose of identification. That first one was for protection, but there's also judgments we can render for the purpose of identification. The Bible tells us that it is appropriate, completely appropriate, for us to judge the spiritual fruit being produced in the lives of other professing believers as a means of identification. Now, look, we're not to be fruit inspectors, fruit sniffers, you know? They just love those people in the grocery store they are going through and they're mangling the, the grapefruits and the bananas and sniffing it and putting it up at their face and everything else. And then they, they don't like that one and they put it back. Look, we're not to do that. <laughs> it's a gross form of judgment. We're not to be fruit inspectors or fruit sniffers passing judgment in particular on people personally, but we can and we should most certainly judge the fruit, spiritual and practical, of their lives to see whether it matches the declaration that they're making about their relationship with the Lord. Jesus did this with the Pharisees, and it's why he told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, Matthew 7, verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. We're not to be fruit inspectors, fruit sniffers but we are to be wise fruit evaluators. Third, there are appropriate judgments we can make for the purpose of restoration. 
for the purpose of restoration, we can appropriately judge the spiritual condition of people's lives, not for the purpose of condemning them, but to help them. I think that sort of follows on the heels of the last one of identification. If we're finding that the profession of someone is not lining up, you know, with the way they're living and we see that fruit, now we have an opportunity to make that evaluation for restoration. We can appropriately judge the spiritual condition of their lives in order to help them, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You cannot restore a person without recognizing and to some degree confronting the wrong conditions that exist. But your hard attitude and your motivation as you do that is critically important. It has to be that you're, you're rendering judgment because you care enough about them to not want to see them continue on in the sinful way of life that they're living because you want them to come to or to return to or to be rightly established in the Lord. That's got to be your motivation. And you can always tell if your motivation is right by the actions that you take. If you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll be doing everything you can to help restore them. You'll, you'll, you'll be engaging them in a gracious, in a loving way. As Paul says, re- remembering lest you also be tempted. I always like to say that old phrase along with that verse. It's not in the Bible, but it's an old common phrase. Thereby the grace of God go I. It's so important that we think about that fact, that, that they're no worse than we are, that we haven't attained something spiritually that they haven't but that we've learned to walk in some things that now we have the ability to help them. But we always remember from where we came, where we walked, and where we still walk in some cases. It might not be the same area, but it might be something else in our lives. None of us have reached perfection. Even the Apostle Paul says, not that I am already perfected. You'll be engaging them in a gracious and a loving way if you're judging them and your motivation is right. Your attitude will be one of humility and not superiority. You'll come across like Jesus, humbly donning that towel in order to help them wash their dirty feet. You'll you'll leave the rendering of ultimate judgment of the state of their hearts between them and the Lord, but you'll do everything that you can to lovingly and gently help them remove the things that you're observing that have gotten in the way of their relationship with the Lord. And this doesn't mean that there aren't times when you'll need to firmly rebuke or to admonish people, but even then, it'll be done with a gentle spirit that reflects that you love them and that you care about them, reflecting that what you're saying is because you care enough about them to tell them. And it'll be clear that it's about them and not about you. Boy, is that a telltale? It's about them and it's not about you. And through it all, you'll be remembering what the Apostle Paul says about you And your own weakness as a fallen human being, as I've already pointed out, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. That statement should bring a sense of humility in your own heart as you deal with others. These kinds of judgments that are made with the right heart are not inappropriate for us to make. People may tell us they are, but they're not. Scripturally, they are not. Now, separate and yet still connected, Jesus adds to this admonition in our passage, condemn not 
and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Hmm. In your dealings with others, in the judgments that you make of others, don't condemn them. That's not your role. It's not your place to do that. That belongs to God alone, and you are not him. I am not him. And, and be ready, he says, to forgive them. You know, I've often found oftentimes that the appropriate judgments people make of others is, or the inappropriate judgments, I should say, that people make of others is often directly connected to unforgiveness. And what I mean by that is that they're responding to something that others have done to them, and their response is to to pass a condemning form of judgment on that person who's done something to them at some point in the past. It's a reality that unforgiveness is a terribly insidious issue in the lives of God's people in particular. I mean, we live in a world that, that tends not to forgive offenses, but it, it is especially insidious when it infects the life of a believer. It not only causes wrong responses that destroy relationships, but if left unresolved, it'll eventually, and it will, it will eventually blossom into what, what the Bible terms as bitterness in the heart of the person who's storing it up. As the writer of Hebrews tells us about that bitterness, listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. Hebrews 12 and verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness... Any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Wow. Yeah, unforgiveness leads to bitterness, which is a deep-growing and hard-to-remove root that defiles our lives and and, and mangles the testimony of our lives for Jesus. I've, I've often shared illustrations from gardening and I'm not a gardener. <laughs> My wife is a gardener. I'm not. I'm terrible. But one thing I figured out is that those deep roots that get down to those weeds, man, they just wrap themselves around everything until the point that they strangle the life out of the good plants. And that's exactly what bitterness does. And it begins with unforgiveness. So, folks, I'm just going to tell you right now, do not store up unforgiveness. Do not store up unforgiveness. Get it resolved. The Bible speaks a lot about forgiveness, constantly referring to the issue of forgiveness for us to be willing to forgive. Don't store up unforgiveness. Get it resolved. Set people free from the prison that you've locked them in in your own heart. Because the bottom line is that prison is actually a prison that's going to do far more to hold you in confinement and bondage than it will that person you think you're locking up in there. Be careful with this stuff. Be careful with it because it will destroy you. You know, as the writer to Hebrews said, it is a root. It is a root that chokes out life. Unforgiveness will, I'm just telling you, unforgiveness will hurt you more than it will ever hurt the other person. What people say, you know, and oftentimes I hear this from people, and I understand. How can I forgive them when they've done this to me? How can I do that? How can I forget what they have done to me? May I just say this to you? You can't forget. You can't forget. Your, your brain is, is bound by the, the limits of what this life has as a functioning biological system that has all those index cards just kind of running through it. You can't forget. God is not asking you to forget. He's simply asking you to forgive, to forgive them. 
Well, you'd say, but what if they're not repentant of what they've done? How can I forgive if they're not repentant? There's nothing, and let me say this clearly, there's nothing in Jesus's command to forgive that is predicated upon their repentance. Forgiveness is an act of your will, a choice that you make that has nothing to do with the choices that that person is making. Forgiveness is simply your choice. Now, you see, what you're confusing it with when you ask that question, if you've asked that question, what you're talking about is reconciliation. And that's something altogether different. Forgiveness is simply your choice to let them go in your heart. It's being willing to choose to let them go and to grant them forgiveness whether they've earned it or not. It's what Jesus chose to do when he went to the cross. Jesus chose to forgive us, and he demonstrated that forgiveness as he went to the cross while we were yet in sinful rebellion against him. This is why he could say of those who were killing him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgiveness from God's perspective was granted that moment, and that resolved it with God. But, listen very carefully, but it did not necessarily resolve it for those who had so offended him. Forgiveness was granted. He did his part to choose to give it to us, but now it's up to us, the ones who've sinned against him, to receive that forgiveness. He's willingly granted it to us, But if we don't choose to receive what he's willingly granted to us, well, well, it isn't that he remained in a state of unforgiveness toward us in his own heart, but it means that we remain in a state of unforgiveness and unable to enjoy the full blessings of eternal life and relationship that would come if we simply chose to repent and to receive the forgiveness that he's chosen to give to us. When we, the offenders choose to repent and receive the forgiveness he's granted us, then the next work begins, and that's reconciliation. That's reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is that interactive engagement that we have with him, learning to walk in restored fellowship with him, a fellowship we could not enjoy before we repented and received his forgiveness. It's not that he didn't want to give us fellowship. He even forgave us so that we could be restored and to learn to walk in fellowship with him. But that's up to us. Reconciliation can't even begin until we recognize our sinful offense and repent of it and embrace the forgiveness that God has already chosen to give us through Jesus. I hope you see what I'm getting at here. I hope you understand what I'm saying and how it applies to forgiveness and relationships that we have with people. You can forgive those who have offended you. You can forgive them. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not an emotion, nor is it something that's conditional. You, like God, can choose to grant forgiveness. By a simple act of your will, you can choose to turn the key to that prison cell door in your heart where you're keeping that person, and you can let them go free. You can let them go free. But forgiving them and reconciling with them are not the same thing. 
Reconciliation requires appropriating the forgiveness that's already been granted, but also a recognition of a wrong committed and a willingness to work to overcome that wrong and to learn to walk in restored relationship again. And sometimes reconciliation is simply not possible because the hearts of those involved are not open to it. And as such, it's not expected for you to make it happen. As Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 18, Romans 12 and verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, now hear what he said, as much as depends on you, in other words, you can only do so much, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes living peaceably with a person in relationship with them simply isn't possible, not because of you, but because the offender is not willing to be reconciled. Even when they say they are, their actions might indicate otherwise. And by the way, here it is not wrong for you to make a judgment about the fruit being evidenced in someone's life. The Lord isn't asking you to be in a reconciled relationship with those you've forgiven but who are still unrepentant of what they've done and who by their actions reveal that they've not personally embraced the forgiveness that you've given them. God doesn't do that with us. He didn't hang on the cross and give everybody a a universal, you know, salvation and relationship with him. He didn't do that. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.